It's time for Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk on News Talk 1400, WDWS Champaign-Urbana, where we talk all things Illini along with other area national sports. Join the program by calling 217-356-9397 or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling text line 217-351-5357. You can also email us at talk at wdws.com. Now, here are your hosts, Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly. I drew a big T on the whiteboard, and I put a W in one column and an L in the other. Then I put a mark under the W. That's what tonight was. We escaped in a very ugly fashion. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. Illini Pellas Saturday Sports Talk. Lauren Tate is here with yours truly, Steve Kelly. Phone line is open, 356-9397. Got an open line going right uh, off the top. Mr. Tate, how you doing this morning? Doing well. Get out all the cliches you want, right, on that kind of game last night. You, good teams step up. Uh, <laughs> it's better than a poke in the eye. Well, I thought Nebraska played pretty <laughs> they well. They did. I, I, that was one thing. I didn't think Illinois played their best at all, although – 12 or 13 uh, turnovers isn't the worst you could possibly have, but there's too many. But they've got some guys playing terrific and some guys not playing so well, Steve. And I, I, that's, uh, that's been a continuing uh, concern for me, at least. I mean, uh, you just can't quite get Curbelo to offset his, uh, the good things he does with the bad things he does. And, and uh, you know, the turnover, he had three turnovers, he had four assists, missed his shots. Uh, you know, just not quite there, but uh, he gave the team a lift when he came in, and then he uh, he took it too far. And then, of course, uh, Grandison played five or six minutes, and they just couldn't play him defensively, I guess, because he uh, gave up the first nine points of the game. And then uh, Georgia Bishanisville is just just playing terrible for him. And he got he was involved in a double technical and didn't see the court after that. That's right. He only played five minutes in the ball game. It's just a shame to take uh, uh, Kofi out at all because he's just so valuable. And the same thing is true of of Io. And and everybody you know seems to think well you can't you know you got to rest those guys. Well, I'd rest them during timeouts. I'd call timeout. I would never take them out. Seventy-seven, seventy-two, Illinois in overtime was the final last night the Illini improved to 14 and 5 on the season 10 and 3 in the Big 10 that was their fifth straight win and you got to take your hat off a little bit to Nebraska they didn't look like a team uh, for the most part that had lost 25 straight games to Big 10 opponents they gave Illinois a battle and for the second straight time on the road the Illini had to go to overtime and came away with a five-point victory. The phone line open 3569397. What are your thoughts on the game last night? We left the uh, first half of the first half hour of the show open for an open line if you'd like to jump in. Our guest list after that at 9:30, Will Leach will join us to talk about Illinois sports, Major League Baseball and whatever else might be on his mind this morning at 10 o'clock. Paul Clee will be with us. Same thing with him. A lot of college basketball talk. We'll get how the uh, Nolan Arenado trade went over in Colorado. They've probably forgotten about it already. They're, they're not a big baseball town anyway. But then, then at 10.30, Howard Griffith from Big Ten Network will join us to talk about Illinois' hiring of Brett Bielma and the staff that he's putting together so far this uh, preseason as they get ready. Io DeSumo last night, 31 points, including 15 straight there to end regulation and begin overtime. And uh, Everybody 
people watching across the country knew what was coming, and uh, he stepped up. Yeah, they knew what was coming when when the game was on the line for sure, and they, he allowed they allowed him to get to his right side again. There's going to be a team come along here. I don't know who it's going to be, but they're going to force him left. Not that he can't score left, but he's much better going to his right, and he was able to get in there for layup after layup, and then he hit those big threes. And, you know, up to that point, he wasn't having his best game. No, no, I'd say that's right. Uh, through the first half and, and early in the second half. But, boy, he really came alive. And I, I'm not sure. I, I'm just not sure. How, where you, <laughs> you just can't rely on one guy. You, you've got to have other guys step up. And, and uh, so far, it's, it hasn't been sufficient, uh, for me at least. And the balance, I mean, when you look at the, the better teams that Illinois had, they had four or five good players on the court. And right now, Illinois is really uh, leaning on Iowa an awful lot. And Kofi with another double-double in the uh, game last night. He was seven for eight. So I, your first thought is, well, why didn't you get him more, more than eight shots? Well, they tried. That's where a lot of the turnovers came from. Yeah, that is true. That is true. And, and – uh, I know everybody gets upset when they don't get the ball to Kofi, but uh, you know he did a tremendous job blocking out. And by the way, uh, I know they're complaining, you know, we're complaining that they foul Kofi. Boy, does he foul. Oh, man, he pushes so hard on those rebounds. He's knocking people down. He knocked the one guy down with one, one, one arm. One arm. I'm, I'm telling you, uh, I'm scared that they're going to start calling some of that stuff because he is he is displacing people under the basket. and. He's displacing people when when we go in for a drive. He won't let anybody get to the to the driver. <laughs> he, he is really valuable. Yeah. I mean, he is valuable defensively. He's val- he blocked four shots. He uh, he's just such a force in there. Let's throw a couple questions out and see what uh, you fans might uh, think about this. Number one, I'll ask you, Lauren, is I would assume with the Big Ten Player of the Year. Well, I'd say that it's a toss up between. I mean, you know, we're all. Uh, I will say this, in the last three weeks he is, in the first month, I think it was Garza, based on what he was doing, Garza's kind of leveled off a little bit, and Ios had, had the rough game against Indiana, but the last couple games he's just been maybe as great as it's possible for a guy to be. In the, you know, you, you can't do any more than he did yesterday and in the previous game when he had the triple-double. Um, uh, I would, you know, I'd say it'll be decided. I mean, I'm chickening out here, but I'll say it'll be decided in the next three weeks. I think that's right. And I think uh, it's more than who has the higher scoring average. It's what you do for your team. And I think, you know, I think Garza's got maybe, you could argue this, maybe a little better supporting cast as far as the number of guys that step up to help him. He still gets his points. But Io's got Kofi and then a lot of question marks after that. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, it's it's apples and oranges when you evaluate a guard against the center. True. Because Io does so many more things than just score. And, and of course, Garza is essentially a scorer. He's not a big assist guy. He gets his share of rebounds, but he's not a dominant rebounder. I mean, you know who's leading the league in rebounding. Kofi. He's leading the league. Big 10. And, I, I mean, I, you could almost make a case that that Kofi's as valuable as Garza, but I don't, Garza was scoring at such a rate earlier that it was just impossible to rate anybody over him. But the last few games, I don't know what's happened, but late late in the, uh, was it the Indiana game, he was 
he he became very t- impossible to stop. It just seems like at some at some points he he's uh, he's unstoppable. At any point in the game, did you feel like they were going to lose it? Oh yeah, I sure. did too. I thought oh, yeah. when it, I kept looking at the clock and I mean when you're Steve, when you're uh, let me look at this when you're uh, six points down. With three minutes to go, right. you, you got to think you could lose the game. <laughs> Once it gets under that five-minute mark, that's when you you that's start right. to get a little nervous. Yeah, it was it was sixty it was sixty-one to fifty-six, just under the five, and then it was sixty-four to fifty-eight. That's six points, and that's when uh, and you know Iowa missed two free throws that were really crucial. He missed three out of four at one yes, point. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And 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 yet he came on and and he brought Illinois within. 64-60, then 64-62, and then hit two free throws to tie it 64-all. And uh, after the Blanton layup, uh, Banton layup, he, uh, and by the way, Banton made a layup to made it 64-66, to okay? Illinois is two down, and he's shooting a free throw. And I will tell you, if he makes that free throw, Illinois is not going to win that game. But he missed the free throw, and Iowa got a layup to tie it. And um, that, was, uh, that put him in overtime. And then they jumped ahead in overtime and then went on to win by five to improve to 14-5 and five on the season. 10-3, and three, they held on to second place. The uh, Big Ten schedule today, Indiana is at number four, Ohio State. Wouldn't hurt if Indiana decided to uh, pull an upset on the road. Don't really anticipate well, they, they, that. But They've won a couple of close ones, at Indiana. Boy, that, that Northwestern game was unbelievable. They trailed that one six points late. Yep. Number 15, Iowa is at Michigan State. Northwestern plays at number 25, Rutgers. Northwestern comes to town here on Tuesday night. Game time has been set for that at 8 o'clock. Moving up on 9-10, let's take our first call. And Jeff calling from New York. Hey, Jeff, good morning. Good morning to you guys. Uh, first off, Lauren, belated congratulations from my wife and me Thank on uh, the Hall of Fame selection. Much deserved. And, Thank you. Uh, Excellent recognition for um, some great work over the years. Um, I want to pose two diverse questions to you, if I may. Um, first, regarding Iowa and Kofi, do you see either or both of them coming back next year, or do you think they'll both be pros? Um, I know that in the recent past you've said that they were kind of um, – especially Io was projected not to be a first-round pick. I, I don't know whether that would be revised on uh, the basis of the way he's been playing of late or, or not. And also, um, I want to pose kind of an off-the-wall question to you, and that is, do you think that uh, any of the so-called blue-blood jobs, by which I mean North Carolina, Duke, Kansas and Kentucky might be coming open as a result of the off year that all four of them seem to be having. No, and, uh, uh, let me say that real quick. No. Good. <laughs> good. Because I, I don't uh, think Calipari is going to leave. I don't think coach K is ready to go. I mean, I, I, I think all those guys, I don't think Bill self, I don't know. Is he going to turn pro? I, I I don't think so, but uh, you know I don't I don't know what the rulings from the NCAA is going to be. Okay, okay, but um, how do you see uh, Kofi and Iowa? And I'm glad uh, that you don't feel those, that uh, those jobs are going to come open because my next question would have been is 
is uh, Brad a candidate? Are we going to have another 2003 situation? But um, I'm glad since you don't feel like it. But what do you think about uh, Kofi and Io going pro? How, how do you? Well, think I think I was going pro, don't you, Steve? I don't think I do. I don't think there's any doubt that he. And one of the things that's happening with with regard to him, and 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 I, as we know, um, um, three weeks ago, a month ago, he was not picked a not logically uh, going to be in the first round. I think he'll be in the first round now based on the way he's playing. And part of it is because of the way a lot of these one-and-done so-called freshmen are playing. We've got a lot of freshmen that aren't playing very well and around the country, and not only not only at, at uh, Kentucky and Duke, which always have first-round picks. Uh, you, you've got several others. You've got injuries affecting some. You've got... Just uh, Zero Williams. I'm not sure what's going on with him at Stanford. I, there's just guys. Uh, there's guys that aren't going to go as high as we thought, and I think that there's a chance that Iowa would move up because of that. Uh, as for Kofi, uh, I don't think he's going to go pro. Uh, I think he wants to. Uh, I don't think he'd be drafted uh, very high. I mean, I don't think he'd be in the first round. He might go in the second round. I, I guess I'd take a chance on him in the second round if I was a, if he got low enough. But right now he's not listed even in the second round. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. And they only go two well, rounds, so that's all we're talking about. Right. All right. Well, thanks, guys. Uh, I'll uh, I'll hang up and listen to the rest of the show. Thanks so much. Thank you, Jeff. Appreciate you listening. In New York, three five six nine three nine seven is the phone number if you'd like to join us. Both Kofi and Garza just don't exactly fit right. into fit into NBA play the way uh, you'd like to see them. I mean, it, 20 years ago they would have. Maybe. Yeah. 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 You got to. But, you know, he he may want to go pro anyway. I mean, he just may want to make money and you only have so many years you can do it. So I I don't I I'm I it's a, it's a guess as to what he will do, but I don't think he'll be I I think he'll wind up in the G League if he goes. Right. Moving up on 9-15, the Sunday schedule in the Big Ten. Hey, guess what? Michigan's scheduled to play on Sunday. Really? At the North, at, at, rather at Wisconsin in a uh, noon game tomorrow, number three against number 21. Nebraska plays at Penn State. Minnesota plays at Maryland. Everybody, not everybody, but other Michigan teams have participated in sporting activity uh, this week, yet uh, Michigan has decided to wait till Sunday. I guess we might become a Badger fan on Sunday. Wouldn't you guess that? <laughs> well, yeah, you'd like to see Michigan uh, remain reachable for Illinois when they play them. You'd like to see that be for the Big Ten Championship. If they play them. <laughs> well, uh, we'll have to see how all that plays out. Hey, a big shout-out this morning in, in other sporting news to Brad Dancer and his Illinois men's tennis team, they're hosting the indoor uh, national championships over at Adkins, and Illinois was the eight seed. There are eight teams in this, so when you're in a seeded situation, you uh, you go against number one, and they beat the number one seed Southern Cal Trojans four to one. Well, somebody mentioned the only reason Illinois was in this is because they're hosting it as their number eight uh, seed, and they played number one. USC is the number one ranked team in the country. Okay. By just ahead of North Carolina, Ohio State, uh, they've they've uh, also there are 25 teams selected. Illinois is not among the top 25. They did receive votes. One of nine teams to receive votes. So that's how low Illinois was going into this. 
And by the way, the, the one and two singles did not finish. Neither Brown nor Kovacevic finished. Both were tied in the third set. Illinois won four to one. They win all those lower, and they won the doubles. That's key. Yeah, you're not kidding. That's key. But when you win the doubles, you think Illinois has got a chance to beat anybody, and they did. Now, can they carry that on? Uh, it doesn't. You know, this is this was a big upset, but they did have the home court. And they've got Baylor next coming up later today. Baylor is the number four seed mm-hmm. in this event. Some other. Uh, News, uh, women's tennis opened Big Ten play with a loss at Iowa yesterday, 4-2. to two. The men's and women's track teams are participating in the Hawkeye Invitational wrestling plays uh, at uh, Nebraska on Sunday. They wrestle, they grapple, they... They don't play? They don't play. <laughs> I don't think those guys play too much. They get after each other. How's that? We'll take our first time out here. The phone line is open. Love to hear what you thought of the ball game last night and uh, ongoing and Think about this one during the break. Is Illinois solidly a two seed? Do you think that it could be a one seed? A couple other Big Ten teams are projected to be possible one seeds in Michigan and Ohio State. So it'll be interesting with uh, Selection Sunday not that far away. We'll take a break and be back with more on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Hi, this is Brian Barnard. Join us for Fighting Illini Basketball Tuesday night at home against Northwestern at 8. Illini game day at 6 on Tuesday night. Welcome back to the show, everybody. We've got the phone lines open, 356-9397 with Lauren Tate. I'm Steve Kelly, and we're with you until 11 o'clock this morning, if you'll have us that long, talking basketball, talking a few other things, anything that might be on your mind as well. Illinois wins last night, 77-72 to in overtime in Lincoln, Nebraska, their fifth straight win to improve to 10-3 and in Big Ten play, Northwestern. As Brian mentioned, comes to town on Tuesday. They've got a game coming up today. Before that, they're on the road at Rutgers this afternoon. So let us know if you have some comments on the basketball game. A couple of other notes. Our friend uh, Brett Dawson, who is the one of the former basketball beat writers for the News Gazette. During the good times. During some good times. He was... Uh, on the scene uh, and replaced by Paul Klee, who will join us coming Klee, up. Klee was always jealous of him over the fact that the, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll mention that to Paul when we talk to him here this morning, but uh, Illinois wasn't, wasn't near as good when Klee was here. Well, when he left, uh, when uh, Brett Dawson left, Paul Klee came in and Dawson went to the Louisville Courier-Journal. Then he did some uh, work in the uh, NBA as well. Now he's moving to Columbia, Missouri, to uh, kind of uh, take over running the sports department, at least, of the Missouri, um, what did you say the name Missourian. of Missourian. The Missourian. Yeah. And work at the journalism school there at the University of Missouri as well. So congratulations to Brett Dawson. That sounds like a, a good career move for him. We'll have to have him on the show one of these days, kind of get caught up with him. Three five six nine three nine seven is the phone number. We'll hear some more from Brad Underwood on the uh, game last night. You're... Uh, Obviously, happy to get out of any situation with a win, even when uh, not everything is clicking. Here's some more of what Brad had to say after the game. Give Nebraska a ton of credit. Nobody at the end of the year is going to draw pictures about this one, uh, but it's a W. And uh, we've got we've to learn from it. I want to give Nebraska a ton of credit because they've, uh, uh, they play great. And uh, they really slowed their tempo down tonight. Uh, they played with much better pace and, and, and flow and um, yet I thought our, our defense the second half uh, was very good. But w- when our team doesn't pursue the ball, 
which we didn't pursue it tonight. We got out rebounded. Uh, when we're not pursuing the ball, uh, we're 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 not at our best, and and that was the case tonight. And um, I thought Nebraska, Lauren had a pretty good game plan. Normally they'd like to get up and down too, but they, I think they wisely decided that maybe the Illinois was not the team to try to get into that kind of game with. Yeah, I. They just seem like they have a lot of pretty good individuals. They aren't as cohesive as you'd like to have your team, and they're awfully tall. I mean, they got a lot of six, eight, six, nine players: Walker and and uh, uh, Mayen and Banton, and they're all in the six, eight, six, nine that category. And they got a couple more like that. And it's just a weird, 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 weird team when you got two guys from Canada, one from Australia, one from Iceland, one from France, one from England. I mean, these guys come from everywhere. And they they most of them came from another school obligation. Yeah, they yeah. they were transfers. You got a couple of them from Pittsburgh, you yeah. got West Virginia, Tennessee. Uh, yeah. Western Illinois and Webster's from Western. I mean, it's just it's just that kind of team and and uh I you know, they 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 played every other day for the three previous games and and so uh, they, they kind of came together in this one a little bit and I thought they shot the ball pretty well early and it really helps to get off to a nine zero start uh, and you know Illinois was fighting for their life the whole time they're playing they played Monday Wednesday Friday and they're playing Sunday Nebraska yeah, yeah. every so other day at least they're trying to make up the games so I haven't seen anything coming out of Michigan yet on what they plan to do with the games that they've missed, although they are scheduled to play today at Wisconsin. Io DeSumo, 31 points in the ball game last night. Here's Io after the game. I just really distrusted my instinct. I trusted my um, God-given, you know, talent, of course. And I just go out there and just play freely and just try to do whatever it takes to win, whether it's to, to score or whether it's to hit a, a teammate for a shot. And like, But they just they believe in me. It's easy when your teammates believe in you and they, you know, they allow you to, to, to do what you can do best down the stretch. It's a mentality that, you know, studying like Mamba mentality, um, all those great players, it's just a a, a wheel. It's like a, a factor that just hits in. Um, it's like a, a bass, a takeover bass that hits in and allows you to just down the stretch, try to do whatever it takes to win. Um, that's why I was so emotional in the overtime because I knew we had five more minutes to win. I just want to win so bad. Um, this team, we've been through so much adversity. So, you know, down the stretch, uh, uh, we have a chance to win, and when we do make plays to win, you know that that raw emotion, that that mentality to be the best and try to just win, it, it comes out. As Io Dusumu on that game last night, 31 points. He did have four turnovers in the game, but uh, some of those early on, trying to get the ball inside to Kofi. Yeah, the the attempts to get the ball into Kofi, and then when when uh, uh, Georgie came in, boy, they really had trouble getting the ball into him. He just they just couldn't seem to to click, and boy, this is this was a this was a two man team. It's a one two punch, and they've we've seen this before, and there was nothing that Nebraska could do to stop him when he got on that roll. But um, I don't know how you how you can do this game after game. That's a tough it's a tough assignment when when you just got two guys carrying the team like this. Then you've got Northwestern coming in on Tuesday. Well, they play. Um, today so we don't know what their uh, losing streak might be but it's 10 well, right yeah, now <laughs> yeah that that last game they lost was just a crime yeah just you know it's the old story holding the ball at the end and the, you're in the shot clock era 
And if you try to hold the ball with the clock running down, it's really hard to score. They won their first three Big Ten games and lost 10 straight since yep. Northwestern. Yep. And uh, they play at and they had Illinois down, didn't they? Yeah, they did. 15 points at the half. Yeah, and these, these slow starts, uh, you know, you can you can say this all you want, and it's likely to be true at some point, but there's going to – well, you know, it's good chance it's going to bite you sometimes. You know what bothered me about the game yesterday was just I heard talk like this. Well, this will be a chance to get everybody going. Right. Well, we don't need everybody. We need those two guys to take the ball and score because we don't need to see if we can develop somebody else in the course of this game. Yeah, at this point I in mean, the season. I, hey, let's just win the game. Yeah, if they were going to be a factor, they'd be a factor already. And uh, you can't go into a game thinking you're going to win by 25 so you can get guys off the bench in the game but uh, yeah there was a lot of talk like that and a lot of talk that uh, you know just show up and win this game and you know maybe in the big picture it's it's a good thing that they're finding ways to win these kind of games oh yeah on the road oh that's a great this is the greatest quality you have yes exactly to pull, to win them at the end absolutely let's go to Alan in Montrose is with us good morning Alan morning guys uh, feel kind of lucky this morning uh, sometimes lucky is better than good Yep, especially in golf, right, Steve? Yes. <laughs> uh, Northwestern's going to come after us really hard, uh, like Nebraska did. I'm hoping we can, uh, you know, figure out a way to dig a little bit deeper. Do you guys feel like at the end of the regulation that I could have been called for a foul there? I thought we were fortunate there. They could have called it. No, no, they couldn't call a foul on that. No, they didn't even attempt a shot. I, <laughs> I thought at least try to get some kind of shot off. They might call a foul on that, but uh, he didn't, wasn't close to getting a shot off. Well, that's what I thought, too, until I saw the replay, and he did tap him on the arm. That's what uh, Fred Oyberg was complaining about. Is that right? So. I've seen a I don't think that's what the, uh, Hoiberg was complaining. He was complaining about the poor effort. By right, the, the, the guy just standing there with the ball and didn't move. I mean, <laughs> you can't stand there with the ball and shoot it with a guy standing right right in your face. I mean, what you got to move. Well, I thought Iowa did a great job of coming out to get him when he was starting to get away from Frazier on a pick, and he jumped but, out at him, and that just got yeah, yeah. Well, they switched it, up. yeah. So, I don't know. I'm just glad we got the win. But uh, with about minute 50, I had serious doubts. Another golf uh, statement. They don't ask you how. It's how many. Mm-hmm. Don't ask you. Like Brad said, you don't take a picture of it. It's just a W or an L. And they got out of there with a W. Yeah. But about what amount to, really. Yeah. And I'm afraid that Northwestern game is going to be very similar because – They'll give us everything they got, especially after the way we thumped them uh, and put them in that losing streak. Yeah. Okay, Alan, thanks. Appreciate the call. Moving up on 930 WDWS, Champaign-Urbana. We'll keep the phone lines open. We'll take a break, and we'll have our first guest of the show, first of three scheduled guests, Will Leach. will join us after this. Paul Klee coming up at 10 o'clock. Howard Griffith at 1030 on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. We're back with more after this. It's Fighting Illini Women's Basketball. They host Indiana Sunday at 2. Mike Kuhn has all the play-by-play from State Farm Center on Sunday. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Moving up on 932, Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. 
with Lauren Tate. I'm Steve Kelly. Happy to uh, welcome in frequent uh, guest on the show, Will Leach. Morning, Will. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I'm groggy. These nine o'clock East Coast starts <laughs> pretty long. <laughs> are pretty rough for us out here, but uh, but I'm hanging in. That was going to be my first question. Did you stay up late and watch that ball game and coach them through? Uh, uh, oh, yeah. Listen, uh, uh, listen. Any, any Illinois game is a big deal anyway. But this year where you never know if a game is going to get canceled or postponed or whatever, you have to take the opportunity to watch them while you can. So I mistakenly, my nine-year-old talked me into letting him stay up and watch the game with me and my father last night. So he's still asleep. <laughs> so, which is pretty much what's going to happen. But yeah, you know, it was. Uh, uh, on one hand, you want to you want to uh, be like, uh, you know, this is the sort of game that you can't. Uh, it was really ugly, right? That, that really, really felt like it could have been a loss, and uh, they they certainly would have deserved to lose that game. On the other hand, you know, you there are. I've watched many Illinois teams over the last uh, 10, 15 years that have absolutely lost that game, and they didn't. And uh, to me, that's. I think that's one of the things that kind of separates this from other Illinois teams is even when they're off, they still find a way to win, even though they were very, very off for most of the night last night. It's got to be kind of a fun experience, though, for you to to be able to to sit in your living room and watch an Illinois game with your father and your son. Yeah, and, and in Georgia, no less. Yeah. I, you know, I growing up, you know, if the game, if it wasn't Dan Roan on WCIA, I wasn't going to be able to watch the game at all. And here I can sit in Georgia and watch it uh, streaming. And, and it's fun, you know, and I think that, uh, uh, that that's an exciting thing to be able to do because, you know, it would have been hard for someone in Athens, Georgia, to watch a Illini game 15, 20 years ago. And now, as far as my son knows, we live just around the street from State Farm Center because we have just as access to many games as anyone else. So uh, he had he has his Kofi jersey. He looks uh, different than Kofi does in it, but uh, but certainly he, he has his Kofi jersey. So he loves he loves uh, he loves this team. Well, Will, I'll ask the the main question: Does Illinois need to find some more balance? to be able to make a run in the NCAA tournament? I, I, you know, I think so, but I think there's still time. You know, I, I think one of the real things I think it's led to some, to the increasing reliance on IO and Kofi is just that I think the freshmen are hitting a wall. You know, I mean, I think that there've been moments where uh, clearly the beginning of the year, Miller looks like, I remember after a couple of games, people were like, wow, is Miller going to go pro this year? <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, we have to worry about that now. And then obviously Corbello had his moment. To me, the issue now, I, I think is the, 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 I thankfully IO and Kofi have carried them through uh, so much of this stuff. But I think the freshmen are hitting a little bit of a wall. I think that's okay. I think that's reasonable. They're obviously both talented. I think they're still there. I think that the one thing, even through this five-game winning streak that, that they've had, it really has been a big struggle. I mean, Curbelo at, at times last night, he just, I mean, you just couldn't have him in the game. <laughs> like, they, they was just, he was almost unplayable at points. Uh, and Miller plays good defense, but the, the, the three points been off for a while. I think you can get these, those things clicking. There have been times where the at times this year where the offense was really struggling and Curbelo gave them a lift and Miller's been able to be helpful on both sides. You can get all those things going at the same time. It's just, it's just a question of whether they will, but I think they have the stuff there. Like I don't think that it's just a Kofi and IO team. And it's frustrating. Sometimes I'll kind of read national reports and they're like, Illinois riding their two potential all Americans, but is there enough there? Yes. There's enough there outside of those guys. They just got to get him going at the right time. And I, listen, it's still, we still got a month to go. I, I think you can still see it. If Miller has a game where like Miller is an excellent shooter. He missed 
several wide open three pointers last night. I don't think that's that that is going to be a consistent thing. He gets that going. That's a, that's a dimension they clearly uh, uh, need, and, and and I think actually have. Well, I'm going to switch you over to baseball because we got pitchers and catchers reporting next week. That's what Steve Kelly tells me. Is that true? Are they really going to report? They are. They are. This this thing is happening. It, it, they are not delaying this. And, <laughs> uh, and you know, I think that they're not. And I, I get it. I understand. No, no one should be too certain about anything for crying out loud. But I do think that uh, that's the plan. You know, I think there was obviously debate between uh, uh, the management and uh, and the players, but. You know, you can look at it two ways. One is the fact that the players and management were not able to come to any sort of agreement on a lot of these major issues. Uh, it's concerning for those of us that know the CBS is going, the CBA, excuse me, is going to expire at the end of the year, uh, which is worried because they can't they can't even agree on stuff that they've already agreed on at this point. So we'll see what happens when they actually have to negotiate uh, the big CBA next year. However. You know, at a certain level, uh, I think it's forgotten with all the troubles that the NFL had, and I think the Justin Turner thing was a big high-profile thing for baseball. They went two months without a positive test last year, (laughs) right in the thick of everything, uh, of kind of the rise of cases that started to happen uh, before the holidays. You know, I think that that, I think that gets a little underappreciated. That and I think that was kind of the players' point all along. I think Major League Baseball wanted to kind of push back a little bit. But baseball just said, look, listen, the NBA is playing right now indoors. The NFL just finished its season. Baseball is a sport that actually has considerably less close transmission between teams uh, and players uh, as those sports. We proved we could do it last year. Why can't we do it now? And I think it's a good point, particularly as cases are kind of falling right now. Now we'll see what happens with the variants and so on. But clearly, uh, I think the players had a pretty strong case to be able to say, why would we delay this? Uh, I think of another thing we've learned a lot particularly in sports, when you delay things, you tend to have a, a thing to just delay them later. If you don't, if you don't just go ahead and have them, I think the players had, had made a pretty good point that like, we've done it before. Why can't we do it now? So yeah, I think it's happening. I think if this is going to happen on time. And frankly, I don't know if you're going to see 162 games, but not because they're going to postpone games. I just think it'll be like last year. And some teams will get to the end of the year and be like, okay, do we need to finish this Rockies Pirates series <laughs> to, to get to 162 games. So I, I think it's going to be a full season, and, and frankly, I, I think I'll certainly appreciate it. Uh, how ridiculous would it be if uh, I, as the head of the health department, decided to give all the baseball players uh, vaccines, even though they're not quite ready, you know, they're not in the, in the, in the line yet, uh, in order to play the season and, and not have to worry about, well, I say worry, but you still worry, but be able to, to, to pull this thing off without, uh, you know, some big uh, delays. Yeah, you know, I think that, that that's something that they talked about. I think Major League Baseball I, I, I was kind of taking the same cue as the other sports leagues of, of thinking that it would look bad more yeah. than, if, if they were to do that. More to the point, more to the point, I think that if I'm Major League Baseball, I think I'm much more concerned about uh, enough fans being vaccinated <laughs> to be able to go to games so they can open the stadiums. You know, I think that, again, you know, for, the, for what it's worth, you know, it, when they, when they kind of did the health and safety protocol, there is no – players aren't even mandata- mandated to get vaccines if they have the opportunity. I think most will. I hope that everyone will. Uh, but certainly the idea that, that, that players should be prioritized, I don't think that it's something that, frankly, even the players push for uh, very much. I think that uh, – I think it is probably more important – to see widespread vaccines. I think that, you know, what you're going to see, I think if you look at some of the health professionals, what they're saying is 
listen, with the, with the supply that's coming, like by early to mid-summer, if you I, – I, I think if you want a vaccine, what kind of even if you are the age of a baseball player, you should be able to be pretty close to doing it. So I think the concern more from baseball's perspective is when can transmission be down and vaccine distribution be up enough that you can get more than 10% of fans in stands. And listen, most – I have to tell you – the Cardinals are going to have fans in stands on opening day. I don't know if the Cubs are, but the Cardinals are. And I think a lot of teams are. I don't think it's going to be full, but I think you're going to see fans in stands. Here in Georgia, there's going to be fans in the stands. It'll be, it'll be spread out. You know, I think football has shown that it can be done, and it's going to be left up to individual states. I think what's key for baseball, and I think key for our, all sports, is to get enough people vaccinated so you can get fans in the stands, and then teams don't have to worry about it looking bad if one of their players, if, if they start getting mass vaccinations. The goal, and listen, I don't think that's that far away. I think that the way that the, with the numbers coming in, the idea that players will be, if they want a vac- vaccine and not have to jump their place in line, can that happen by May or June? I think it can. I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. I think it's more important for as many fans to get it so they can get them in the stadiums. Talking to Will Leach, what about you as a fan? If you had the opportunity to go to a Cardinal game or a Major League Baseball game with uh, maybe your son or your family, would you do it right now? Uh, I would, to be honest. Yes, I actually I've been to a, I've not only been to a football game down here. I actually went to a, a Georgia basketball game around here, and uh, I went with my family. And my dad has had both of his vaccine shots now, so he is, uh, uh, frankly, boasting about it more than I feel comfortable with him doing. But, <laughs> but he, uh, uh, I'm not, and for the record, for the record, I understand that there are, there are health issues, and and we there, these things are still in the early stages. But I mean, my my parents wanted to retire and has been stuck inside for a year. Now that they have their vaccines, I'm like hit. Vegas, go to spring training, <laughs> like do it. You've earned it uh, at, at a certain level. But for me, I have not actually ha- had the vaccine. But I will say that you know mo- most places that are open, I wouldn't want to go sit in a student section at a football game. But at a, at a Georgia basketball game, there's a whole section full of I would say a thousand seats, and there are five people in them. <laughs> like we have like as much space. Yeah, I would say going to a college basketball game is we have found to be safer than going to the grocery store or trying to do really much of anything else and masks are mandated uh, inside. So I think that there are ways to do these things safely. Everyone has to kind of make their own decisions. And I don't think there's any, but the idea that, you know, socially distanced seating with fans far away from one another and masks is somehow one of the things that we really need to be as a high priority concern uh, moving forward, I, I'm just not sure that's true for me. You know, a lot of this, I, I'll put it this way, I, for all the talk, uh, I, I'll say this. I certainly saw a lot of people complaining about having 20,000 fans in the Super Bowl that were at Super Bowl parties with like 30 people in them right. all watching indoors. Uh, I, I think that is a probably much more concern for the CDC and for these sports leagues than uh, than uh, uh, games that are that have a lot of distance in, in Masking, I think that, I think that's that's not considered a major issue. You don't, you can't have fifty thousand people in there yet. But I think if we stop having indoor parties with a bunch of people, we can have fifty thousand people in there soon. I don't think sports is a major transmission in that regard. Well, Lawrence had both of his vaccines, and he's more invincible in his own mind <laughs> than ever. Oh. I don't I, know. You, I, I, listen, I, I there are people I worry about. Lauren's not one of them. Lauren is indestructible. That's a bad, I, Don't I, I'm, say that. I'm not worried about the Lauren. I'm worried about the needle that, that gave the vaccine. That thing is. Uh, that thing that I'm impressed it can even puncture your skin. 
<laughs> just look believe, the, believe me, it went in. <laughs> just look the other way. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, uh, talk started around St. Louis and Denver about uh, Nolan Arenado, and my first uh, thought on that Friday during the day was, how is this any different than what we heard the last two years? And it turned out to be quite different. Your thoughts on uh, the Cardinals obtaining Nolan Arenado to play third base? Yeah, I was the same way. I didn't believe it either. I've heard it so much. But, you know, at a certain level, I think that a lot of the reaction to the trade, particularly because I think there's an exhaustion with the Cardinals around sports, doesn't sort of break the Cardinals even to tend to sort of make for themselves. But, you know, this was, I don't consider this a, like, Mookie, people compare this to the Mookie Betts trade, where the Red Sox traded away this franchise icon, uh, literally just for, like, payroll relief. I feel like this is different. This is less to me less an issue of baseball and an issue of the Rockies. So like, remember, the Rockies gave him the extension. Like they they had the money to do it. They traded him because they had a terrible relationship with their superstar player, which is a Rockies problem, not a baseball problem. The Cardinals took advantage of that situation. But one of the reasons the Cardinals were able to get him for such a small amount was because Arenado had a no trade clause, and he could say, "I don't want to go anywhere else unless you trade me to the Cardinals." That gave the Cardinals huge leverage in the negotiations. I think it works. I think it's, you know, it's a, it's, he's a perfect fit for the Cardinals. He really is. He fixes so many problems. Uh, they still don't have a leadoff man. I think that's a little bit of an issue. And I think the rotation, I think there's reason to be more concerned about the rotation than I think people necessarily give it credit. I think if Jack Flaherty were the ace that I think we sort of thought he was going to be, but wasn't last year, I think that, yeah, that would solve a lot of issues. But uh, to me, Arenado is, you know, I mean, the idea that you've got Arenado, who again is just, just not even thirty, like he's still like in the prime of his career, and that they've got for a while, uh, he's going to be a perfect fit in St. Louis. It really does have a lot of Scott Rowland vibes. I think Arenado, frankly, may have, have even a higher ceiling than Rowland did with the Cardinals. To, for him to come in, I think they're going to love him in St. Louis, and uh, I think when there's fans on opening day, and again there will be fans on opening day, it's going to be a perfect fit for Arenado there. I think you hit something on that pitching situation because they're looking for another starter, and we would have never thought that uh, one year ago, two years ago, three, three years ago. We were always saving the pitchers and, and every deal that was made, everything that happened, protect those young arms, which they did. And now here we are without really assurance that this is really going to be a top uh, pitching uh, rotation. Is that fair? Yeah, it's- yeah, it's funny because they were like, oh, it's okay to trade the outfielders like Luke Voigt, or the, the hitters like Luke Voigt and uh, Randy Arozarena and Tommy Pham, and now they're short there too. I mean, listen, there's obviously talent there, but I mean, it is maybe not the best sign that the Cardinals' best starting pitcher last year was maybe Kim, but probably Adam Wainwright, <laughs> who is 38 years old. He's, I think he's the third oldest player in baseball right now. That's to count on the, the amount that they are counting on Adam Wainwright to be as great as he was last year and has he been in his career is, is concerning. And I think that, listen, there's depth there. I think there's, I feel like this is the seventh straight year I've been like, okay, this is the year that Carlos Martinez is going to put it together. Oh, <laughs> like no. It feels like we've said that so many times. But I feel like that, that's, they're counting on a lot of that now. I think that's right. I think that's why they may have to bring in uh, another pitcher. But, you know, there's still if, – if, if the rotation works, clicks correctly, there are guys there. I mean, Michaelis is, is, is concerned coming back from injury. But all these guys have been – 
good before. This is not just like scraping together, you know, hopefully uh, ho- hopefully some of these guys that uh, we've never seen do it can pull it together. There's lots of options, but it's just not certain. And listen, for the Cardinals can talk about Arenado all they want and, 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 and Goldschmidt and, and what they're going to do with the outfield. I'm excited about Carlson. This feels like a really potentially big year for Carlson. Uh, but the Cardinals are good when their rotation is good. And when their rotation is good, they are not good. And that has pretty much consistently been the case for about 20 years. And so I think the rotation has got to be the key to everything they're trying to do. Let's take a phone call for Will Leach. Let's go to Steve calling from Westfield, Indiana. Go ahead, Steve. Hey, hey, Will, I got a question for you. You mentioned being in a Georgia basketball game, and I'm still puzzled why Tom Crean left Indiana to go to Georgia. And when Illinois beat Indiana, he had him number one in the nation, and Archie Miller hasn't had Indiana anywhere close. So why <laughs> was that move made? I definitely don't think, and Lauren, you can back me up on this. I don't think it was necessarily Cream's decision. No, to leave no, no. Indiana, Indiana I think, I think pushed that, him out. Yeah, yeah. They, they they did push. I there may be some regret there. We'll see. I think that you know, I, I think Indiana this year is a little better than their record. I think that like they 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 feel like it's, even when they they've lost a lot of tough games, but they're tougher. Like they're a tough out in a lot of ways. And I think the Indiana fans are frustrated, but frankly. Indiana fans are always frustrated. <laughs> Indiana fans are—it's not nineteen, you know, nineteen eighty, eighty-one anymore. So they're they're generally kind of angry about that. Crean here has been—you know—it's an interesting thing because you know last year, of course, Crean recruited the guy that was the number one pick in the NBA draft, Anthony Edwards, playing for who's been pretty good for Minnesota uh, this year in, in the NBA. Like he, they they lost him over the year, and they're better this year. That they're still not a great team. They they have no shooters and no bigs, which is not good. <laughs> it's very tough to win that way. And they're all just under 500 in the SEC. The advantage that Crean has in Indiana uh, is the same advantage that uh, I think an Illinois football coach may have. Uh, there are the other sports here, <laughs> and, which is to say that like you know Crean Georgia basketball is just they they like Georgia basketball, but Georgia football is just so overwhelmingly important here that if Crean, Crean gets a, a, a lot of rope that he might, that he definitely did not have it in Indiana. So uh, I think that Indiana would have been a better position for him, but I think Georgia was the kind of job coming off of Indiana that gave him opportunity. It's a good recruiting base, uh, it's a good place to go, but there's not a ton of pressure on him. He's in year three and he has not had, even close to a winning record in the conference yet, and he's still not particularly under a lot of fire here. I think I think that's why this place makes a lot of sense for Korea as he tries to rebuild after the Indiana situation. Anything else, Steve? No, but I just wondered, because Indiana hasn't even been close with Archie to where Crean had him, and it, it just puzzled me that move. So I appreciate his insight. I mean, I, no, I, and I get it. I, I think that I think that Crean – I, I, it's funny that year that Crean was that they were number one. The year the, the, the Illinois beat them, and uh, it was funny. I was watching John Gross put Coach Akron last night. I was just reminded, like his son that he hugged is probably in college now. <laughs> like I just at the end of that game, I was realizing uh, uh, how big the Illinois Indiana game uh, win was. But you know that team lost to Syracuse in the Sweet 16, and after that, it was kind of over for Crean. Like he had some good teams after that, but they really thought that team was going to win a national. Well, let, let me say that I, I, I just when they didn't they were just on it. I just Googled this and Indiana Hoosiers fired coach Tom Crean, the program announced. Yeah. yeah so right. I mean that's your answer yeah, to why I, I, he's I, not I, there. I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But I, but I, it just kind of went downhill a little bit. He, they were in the NIT that, that, that year. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. So let's squeeze George in. The, better fit, I think for him now. Squeeze in maybe another call for Will Leach. Marty is with us. Go ahead, Marty. Hey, Steve. Hey, Lauren. Hey, Will. And the other thing uh, with Indiana and Tom Cream, he wasn't getting player the top players in Indiana every year, which Archie Miller is, but it hasn't necessarily gotten him many wins. So you know, be careful what you wish for. Sometimes what you wish for isn't what you get, want. Hey, it will question. I'm guessing this uh, in letting Gomber go, who I like more than maybe some people do, that the Cardinals believe that Libertor and maybe Zach Thomas, Thompson Thomas, that was the number one draft pick a few years ago out of Kentucky, that one or both of those left-handers are going to be able to come up and help them this year. Uh, and they had a couple of other young arms that came up last year because of COVID. They had to use them. I think they have arms there. It's just they're not arms that a lot of people know about. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think Liberator, we might see Liberator at the end of this year. I don't know if they count him necessarily immediately. But, you know, remember, they're also high in a lot of guys. Listen, one of the quietly good starters for the Cardinals last year was Johan Oviedo, right? Like, he was someone oh, yeah. that threw really hard. He wasn't he wasn't a guy you could consistently count on, but he's someone that they have a lot of high hopes for. They oh, yeah. He's not polished they yet, will, but he's got an arm. Yeah. Yeah, and they look they look at people like me being like, I don't know about this rotation, and they they think that we're wrong. Like, and we'll find out if their if their if their bet is correct. But they think they've got enough. Even guys like Jake Woodford, they feel like we can fill in the year until Libertor, as you said, Thompson can, can come in there. They're definitely not concerned about their pitching long term. They they really feel like they've got a lot of arms there. But as Lauren kind of pointed out. The Cardinals are never concerned about their pitching long term. They always feel like they've got to protect those pitchers. They they've got those guys long term. Yeah, and then here we are in 2021, being like, "Wow, did they have enough pitching?" <laughs> and so I think that I think that kind of speaks to the idea that you can't have enough, and no matter how confident you are, you never know how it's going to turn out. But I will say this: all of those comments during the World Series, when the, when everyone was making fun of the Cardinals for trading uh, for trading a Rosarina, and how how could they do that? The Cardinals need an outfielder so badly. We'll see, because I think Libertor, Libertor, I think is a is a big arm and someone they're yeah. extremely excited about. And so, yeah. uh, and Rosarina, who is obviously a good a good player, but is not you know Babe Ruth like he was in the no, World Series. My, I suspect uh, uh, I suspect that may get turned around a little bit. My problem with the outfield issue was that Rosarina had a track record in the minors that was really good, as far as yeah. good batting average, good on base, decent outfielder, et cetera. The guys that they brought up and they seem to love and they're still willing to give a chance to, Thomas, O'Neill, and Bader, uh, there's some defensive skill there, but they, none of them can hit a slider off the plate, and none of them had a very good minor league. You know, they didn't have the numbers that drove you crazy like a Rosarina did. So I, they're trying to – they don't want to give up on them now because they don't want another Rosarina situation, but I'm not sure any of them are in a Rosarina. That's that's my problem yeah. with it. I, I think that's fair too because the Rosarina also actually hit okay for the Cardinals. <laughs> like it felt like he actually was the like he didn't show up and look immediately overmatched with the Cardinals. He didn't do what he did in the World Series last year, but he certainly did not look like he looked like someone you're like okay, there's something here for them to again. Libertor was what they wanted. I get it. I I was for that trade. I'm still not necessarily against the trade now, but uh, obviously a Rosarina on the heels of Voice 
and uh, and 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 some of these other deals. Uh, I think there's no question it uh, it was a hard thing to it's a hard thing for a lot of people to stomach. Hey Marty, we appreciate the call. Will, uh, what else is uh, keeping your attention? What are you going to be working on coming up this week? Well, we've got uh, we. I just I just wrote about the the kind of the weirdness of the Super Bowl and having the season over, but so much of now is really focused on. I'm writing about this for New York Magazine, getting this NCAA tournament on and going. You know, I think you saw that you saw the uh, the, the there's so many worries that people that they should have. I know the Indianapolis is a smart play. I think the Big Ten made the right call by putting the tournament from Chicago to Indianapolis. But you know, we saw yesterday that certain that the NCAA has said, listen, you don't have to do conference tournaments if you don't want to. You pick whoever you want to send a league team send whoever. The the nightmare scenario, like listen, if if Major League Baseball, if, if the NFL has a couple positive tests, they can move a game to Tuesday. They can figure something out. Baseball can do a doubleheader. The NBA can can has this whole second half of the season to reschedule games if they have to. If there are positive tests in Indianapolis, uh, the NCAA tournament has no yeah it has no wiggle room. And I think no, nope, you're right. Losing one after losing one tournament last year, the possibility of losing i don't think a whole tournament but like having a, a tournament that doesn't feel like a real tournament or doesn't actually have that appeal for a second consecutive year i think it'd be pretty devastating to college athletics so to me the biggest story in sports right now is can college basketball pull off this tournament i think the decisions that they've been they're, they're, they're very limited media wise and there's some of that stuff but that feels a little bit like theater <laughs> just looking like security theater they have like can you imagine if Luca Garza or someone like like test positive or or a key player uh, or there's an outbreak on Baylor's team or an outbreak on Villanova's team in the middle of the tournament? What they even do? It really feels like the biggest story to me in, in kind of sports at this particular moment. Great stuff, Will. We're very uh, happy you're generous with your time this morning. Always good to catch up with you. Maybe we'll do it again before the uh, NCAA tournament gets underway and see if anything's changed between now and then. But thank you very much. Of course. Thank you. Nothing ever changes. Everything is totally normal. It's <laughs> absolutely predictable. All of course, for several long times. So I have no worries. Now Thanks, you, got, you got us all scared about the NCAA tournament. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Thanks, Will. Thanks, Will. Will Leach with us. He writes, as he mentioned, for uh, New York Magazine. He also writes for MLB.com and uh, many, many other entities as well. He's got a golf connection also, so he's a very busy guy based out of Athens, Georgia now. Moving up on 9.58, WDWS, Champaign-Urbana. Hour number one of Illini Pella's Saturday Sports Talk is in the books. We'll kick it off hour number two with Paul Klee after this. Stay with us. It's the second hour of Illini Pella's Saturday Sports Talk. Join the program by calling 217-356-9397 or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling text line. 217-351-5357. Here again are your hosts, Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly. Welcome back to the program, everybody, as we head into hour number two here on WDWS. Champaign-Urbana is 10.01. Busy first hour talking about that Illini game last night. Also uh, spent some time with Will Leach talking about that and uh, Major League Baseball and other topics as well. Kicking off hour number two now. Going out to our Denver, Colorado Bureau, where our chief correspondent is standing by with a new assistant in the uh, Bureau office. Paul Klee is with us. How's it going, Paul? 
Good, good. Thanks, Steve. I appreciate that. I couldn't think of a better way to spend Saturday than with my two Valentines. <laughs> <laughs> well, how's that little Valentine that uh, came yeah, into your that life? Yeah, two-month-old Valentine. Yeah, he's he's as good as it gets. Uh, we watched the Illinois game this morning, actually, and um, it was a nice way to to be alive and to be awake to watch a fantastic college basketball game last night. So we're good. I asked you the other day: Is his first is his name Lauren Steve? <laughs> <laughs> Lord Stephen, yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to grow up to be like you, Coach Tate. <laughs> yeah, his name is Johnny, right? It's Johnny Oliver, yep. Okay. John Oliver, go, he goes by Ollie, goes by J.O. Uh, he might go by I.O. after the next couple months. <laughs> Did you stay up last night and watch that? No, uh, we watched it today. Um, we watched it this morning. Hours are a little shifted around these days with so sleep schedules. But um, I did. I did get a chance to watch it. And I can uh, tell you that I have a new National Player of the Year vote, and it's going to go to uh, the Illini guard right now as long as nothing changes over the next couple of months because I think he's the most valuable player in the country. Yeah, we talked about that earlier uh, as far as uh, most valuable player in the uh, Big Ten, I, and I think he is. Uh, Garza has had another good year, but uh, I think Io does so much more for his team, at least the way he's playing right now. I think so, Steve. I, I think it's it's he carries them at critical moments and it's happened so many times yep. that, you know, I, I think that if you remove him from this Illini team, you're an underdog in the first round. And with him, you look like a two or maybe even a one seed, depending how the next three weeks go. So I think he is the most valuable player. My my five would be would be him. It would be Garza. It would be Jared Butler, who might be my favorite player in college basketball at, at, at Baylor. Uh, and then I go with two Zags, Kispert and Suggs. So those would be my five All-American votes this season so far. If you had a concern about watching, rather from watching Illinois play to this point, you know mm-hmm. what you've got in Io and Kofi. Do you have a concern about some of the supporting cast or not? Well, I think it's relative <laughs> for me. Um, you know, this should be a Sweet 16 team at minimum right now. And it's been a long time, you know, since Illinois could say that. So I think my concerns, I'm trying to mute those uh, and just really enjoy this team. It's such a likable group. It's, I, you know, I, I watch way too much college basketball these days, and it's got the best bench you've seen in terms of enthusiasm. They're just, they're so locked into this process and so invested. Um, I love watching this Illinois team. They're, they're just terrific. And so I think my concerns would be run into someone that has a, you know, a big wing defender, a guy that, you know, a three and D guy in the NBA that can lock up Iowa a little bit. Um, I think that's your worry because where does the production come from outside of that? But to me, that's a second weekend concern. And um, I'm just going to enjoy these guys for the next couple of months. But I do think it's a two seed. I think this is a two seed. I think that's how it plays out. And um, he's good enough to carry you. For a round or two, at least. Well, bring us up to date on Gonzaga. Are they? Uh, they don't play enough really tough opponents. Mm-hmm. This kind, of, this mm-hmm. at this point in the season, what does that mean as far mm-hmm. as the tournament's concerned? Oh, it doesn't mean anything. You know, they're averaging three tournament wins a year the last five or six years. So mm-hmm. it's. Uh, I think it's. I think it's. If there had been some 
you know, precedent for it bothering them come March, but it really hasn't. They've been monsters in the tournament the last five or six years. So uh, I think right now they're trying to, well, I know what they're trying to do. They're trying to get games because a lot of these WCC teams are, you know, out of abundance of caution can mean a lot of different things. So they're trying to get games in. They've they've tried every week really for over a month now to find a marquee game, and it just didn't work out. They're supposed to have Houston, Salt Lake City two weeks ago, which would have yep. been a pretty good game. Yep. But uh, Houston backed out of that. So um, they're trying to stay healthy. I mean, they really play seven guys. Um, I think along with Baylor, these are two of the best teams that – I think they're two of the best teams in the last 30 years. I, I think Gonzaga's – I think it's the best team – by far, and uh, I think it's up there with like those UNLV TARC teams, 2001 Duke. Uh, so this is your best Duke, Gonzaga team, your best. I I believe so. I think 2017, you know, that was the best team in the country. It lost to Carolina in the national championship. But this team, I just don't know what you do with them. There's, you know, you're bringing a three-year Florida starting point guard off the bench in Nemhart, and I don't know how you slow them when you put 98 on Virginia, you know, score 98 on Virginia. I don't know how you really slow them down. So yeah, I do think it's the best team. Are Gonzaga and Baylor? Yeah, are Gonzaga and Baylor clearly a step ahead of everybody else? I mean, who's gonna? Who do you think is? in the best shape to maybe knock one of those teams off? I think it's got to be a team that can really hit threes. You know, I think it's got to be like a a Nova. Um, I thought Iowa could give Gonzaga a game, but they couldn't. It was 30 points before you blinked. Uh, I don't think anybody can beat those two, Steve. And I probably shouldn't be saying that on WDWS in (laughs) in Illini country, but I I don't think anybody can touch those two teams. I think they're head and shoulders above everybody else and uh they got to be on opposite sides of the bracket that's for sure what are your thoughts on the ncaa tournament uh, the plan to have all that in indianapolis mm-hmm. and are you like us kind of having your fingers crossed hoping that uh, they can get through that oh gosh yes you know i'm, I'm writing something for tomorrow in the, in the denver gazette with um tad boyle the cu coach and nico medved the csu coach they've really lived the the COVID basketball life this year, these two. Uh, it's a rare time when both those programs are tournament teams, and this is one of those times. CU's had four games canceled. Uh, CSU had three last week canceled, and their next opponent, Nevada, just went on a COVID pause. So you're looking at a tournament team in CSU. They could go three weeks without playing a game. That's what it looks like right now. So they're just trying to get there. You know, something that Tad told me was, I didn't realize this, but after your conference tournament, you got to have seven days straight of negative tests. Really? That's going to be tough. That's going to be really tough. Yeah, so I think they're PCR tests, and you got to go seven days before you get there, maybe including a couple of days while you're there. I'm not sure. Um, just just to be able to, to play. Well, now, so hey, hang, be, hang on a second. Are you saying that? That just for instance, Illinois would play. Let's say they played on a Sunday for the for the mm-hmm. championship of the of the tournament. I mm-hmm. assume it'll be the mm-hmm. same as before. The and, Big Ten and, tournament. Yeah, yeah. And, and the tournament then would mm-hmm. start the following Thursday, right? I mean, there's not seven days. Well, I'm not sure what. 
I'm not sure what the schedule is for the term. I know it's twisted around, but yeah, it's seven days of testing. Now, whether that's from your last conference tournament game or if it starts before that, like on, you know, Thursday of the conference tournament, I'm not sure. But Pat okay. told me that last night, and I was surprised to hear it's that's a boy, that's a cross your fingers and watch your phone type seven days. Um, but God bless it. I I hope that you know this thing goes off without you know without CU losing to McKinley Wright because of a test or, you know, God forbid, Iowa getting a pot, you know, stuff like that. Because I, I think this tournament's got a chance to be a great one, but um, there's going to be a lot of hell breaths out there. Well, yeah, it's good. There, there's going to be practically a quarantine there in, in Indianapolis, and they're all going to be tested every day, mm-hmm. I'm sure. it's uh, mm-hmm. Right. But it, worked, it has worked before. This type of thing has mm-hmm. worked Last year, I think, in other sports and and in the NBA. Yeah, and, and the question I have is is how many teams that you're, you know, there are some coaches that are kind of wondering, not privately, but they're starting to say a little bit louder, if, you know, if you're out of it, if you're not going to the NCAA tournament, or if you're locked into a really good seed, do you have the motivation to play as many games as possible? I'm not sure. Because the, the end goal is is to get that high seed or to simply get through the season. So we're seeing a lot more cancellations lately. And well, Michigan, guys are, you know, Michigan would lead right. you to think that way, wouldn't they? I mean, right. They, you know, Villanova earlier in the season, I kind of wondered about that. But, um, you know, it, it, we'll never know. We'll never know exactly what, if the motivation was there or not, but. Hopefully we get a tournament, and hopefully we get all these good teams with all their good players. Talking to Paul Clee, we do have the phone line open, 356-9397. If you'd like to join us, Brad Underwood has said, as people probably know, Illinois basketball team gets tested every day, every morning. And he mm-hmm. says the, the time between that testing and the time he gets the phone call that everything is okay is the most stressful time of his day. He's usually, he's usually at practice during that, but uh, he's almost afraid to answer the phone. Right, right. That's that's kind of what Tad, Tad was telling me, too. And I, I think that when I watch Illinois games, I, I think I've seen every one of them, that the investment that those guys have right now, because this, this is a really long three months so far. This, this is not a normal three months. This is, um, it weighs on them. And they are so locked in there, you know, that I, I can tell a lot from a bench these days because you don't have crowds. And you're starting to get some crowds, but you don't really have crowds. And that Illinois bench, man, they are fired up from tip to finish. So I, I just – I really like the um, – kind of the environment and the, the culture that they have with that group right now. I think that speaks, that speaks volumes about where they're at because it, it hadn't been like that for a while. And, and so that's, that's been really nice to see. Are Colorado Rocky baseball fans anxious to uh, get the uh, season underway after letting their best player go? Well, I, I think that there's a reason they're going to open on April Fool's Day because um, <laughs> this, uh, this this operation has been a, has been a joke for a little while. Um, think about this, Steve. That if if the Rockies keep it together, you had Nolan at third, Trevor Story at short. DJ LeMayhew at second, and you could make the argument, it's a pretty good argument, that you'd have the best third baseman, the best second baseman, and the best shortstop in the game. 
and now two of those three are gone <laughs> in just the blink of an eye. So they've really torn this thing down, and the Cardinals got the best baseball player I've been fortunate to watch or cover. He is as good as I've ever been around, and he is he's very driven. They're going to love him there. Um, I think his his prime, I think you're seeing it right now. I think he's walking into it, and um, he wants to win a World Series. So they got a good one there. You talk about, a lot of people talk about his, and anybody that plays in Denver and the altitude, they talk about their home away splits, mm-hmm. but uh, the Cardinals didn't seem too concerned by that. No, that won't be a problem. The, the issue that you have there is, um, it's not a, you know, I think it's viewed as an advantage because you play here, and it is when you're at home, but it's such a different game when you go on the road because the ball doesn't move like it does. And this outfield, it's, it's like a driving range. It's just so big. There's so much green to cover, and he's going to be good there. You're not going to see any type of drop-off. If anything, he'll he'll be better than he was. So I know a couple of Cubs fans are listening to this and probably not too pleased to hear that, but uh, I'll be following Nolan Arenado. He's a, he's a class act. Uh, he's a worker, um, and they're going, to, they're going to love him in St. Louis. Another minute or two with Paul Klee former basketball beat writer for the News Gazette, another former basketball beat writer for the News Gazette, the guy that uh, was on the uh, job before you, Brett Dawson. I don't know if you heard that news or not. I'm guessing you did, that he is moving to the University yeah. of Missouri to uh, do some work there. And they won all those games when he was with me. And I, I don't know what happened when Clee, <laughs> what happened when Clee came here. Right. Yeah, it was, it was my fault mostly. <laughs> I, I blamed Rosso for it. But Rosso would never, uh, he'd never accept the blame. He told me they were good. And uh, I always thought Brett made up the 2005 season. You know, I thought he just made it up. Because I, I don't think I saw, it. I saw one tournament win when I was there. But um, yeah, and, and Marcus Jackson, it was probably his fault too. So I'm not going to take any of the blame for that run. But we've had two tournament wins in the last 14 years. How's that? Oof. <laughs> 14 years. I mean, yeah, of course, we might have had one last year or two, you know, if we had a tournament. But uh, sure, it's, sure. It's been a, slot, yeah, and a there long was some, time. You know, the, 09 was, I think it was 2009 in Portland. That was a tough one because Chester got hurt. So you mm-hmm. you probably, you know, you, you probably get past Western Kentucky there, although that was a pretty good team. I think they had a couple NBA guys, but it's long overdue, man. 14 years, two tournament wins, you know. Wisconsin calls out a weekend, so um, it's time. These these guys need to they need to win a couple games. You know, it's it's a lot of fun to watch this team, and I like to see them play as far as they can. Uh, but it, it needs to be a Sweet Sixteen team. Hey, Paul, always good to catch up with you. Congratulations on uh, the arrival of John Oliver, and uh, continued I, success there uh, on the job and off the job as well. Well, it's always a pleasure to talk to you guys, and um, hopefully we get to do it again soon, probably tournament time. We'll do it for sure. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Paul. All right, guys. Paul Klee with us from Denver, Colorado at 1017. We'll take a timeout and have more to talk about. We'll keep the phone lines open. Coming up at 1030, Howard Griffith will join us to give us his thoughts on the hiring of Brett Bielma and the staff that he's putting together and the uh, recruiting trail that uh, he's got the guys on now. So stay with us. We're back with more after this. Join us for the next edition of the Fighting Illini Coaches Show, headlined by head men's basketball coach Brad Underwood 
Monday night, 7 to 8 on DWS. Brad Underwood and others will be there for that show with Brian Barnhart coming up Monday night. Phone line is open, 356-9397. If you would like to join us, thanks to Paul Clee for taking some time to spend with us. Got a couple texts here. We have a couple of questions about the IHSA state tournament that will not be this year. The question is, will the State Farm Center be extended a year on the contract? We believe they will. I think that has been pretty much uh, announced that that will happen. So that's good news. And high school basketball is back and being played. Teams are wearing masks, Lauren, as far as I can tell. It doesn't seem to be bothering anybody. Yeah, I, I don't know how you do it, but uh, they are wearing masks. Some uh, games last night will give you a few scores. You can get uh, the rest of the scores in the News Gazette this morning. Uh, St. Joe Ogden beat Rantoul 73-54. Champaign Central over Bloomington, 41-38, coming from behind to win that game. Peoria Emanuel beat Urbana, 73-57. It was Monticello, 53. Chillicothe IVC, 51. Pontiac beat Unity, 74-64. Lexington over Fisher, 84-69. Oakwood beat uh, Milford, 56-50. Peoria Richwoods over Danville, 66-53. Villagrove Heritage, 75, Tri-County, 50, Westville beat Chrisman, 51-33. Some of the high school scores, you can, uh, like I say, catch the News Gazette this morning for some game rundowns on other ones. We're going to talk some football with Howard Griffith coming up in a little bit, but I ran across something that I found kind of unbelievable. According to Rivals, in their database for Big Ten schools, the number of 2022 football scholarships that teams have out there. I don't know if you saw this list or not. Illinois has 65, according to rivals. That is the third least in the Big Ten. 65 scholarship offers. Okay, for 2022, guys. Penn Mm -hmm. State has 324 Scholarship offers on the table. Nebraska, 322. Michigan State, 289. Michigan, 217. All the way down to the bottom three, I guess you would call this. Northwestern, 48. Wisconsin, 60. Illinois, 65. Well, I suppose uh, the reason for that, Steve, is the, the coach. it's a new coaching staff, and they haven't had time to... I understand, but do you really offer 324 well, guys? It's kind of ridiculous because they can only take, and, and and we say they could take 25, but they aren't really going to take 25. You'd probably be a lesser number than that. So, uh, you know, you've got to leave some things open. You've got to leave openings for transfers in these days. Right. You just have to because you've you got a chance to pick up some really good players later. So I, you know, I don't What is that transfer pool over 2,000 now? Yeah, well, it was a couple of weeks yeah. ago, the last I heard. I, I don't know what it is now. Uh, I think it'll just jump. Um, uh, be it'll really take a jump after uh, spring practice because when spring practices are held across this country, there will be hundreds and hundreds of players wanting to leave. Tell me straight now, do you have any plans to transfer? Yeah, I do. <laughs> do you? <laughs> well, thanks for giving me the heads up. Uh, I'll, I'll go to the transfer yeah, portal I, now. <laughs> I think I've spent enough time here. <laughs> <laughs> you think? <laughs> Fifty-five years. Fifty-five years. You. you 
Well, you figured out you can do it, so you, you've got staying power at least. And you don't want me to mention this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Oh, don't do it. I'm going to do it. I know you just want to be regular Lauren. But, I would sure like that. It would be nice. <laughs> but you can't deny the fact that you're a, a finalist for another award. Yeah, I don't, the Red Smith I, Award. I don't know what I'm doing in there with with the people. There's some there's some heavyweights in there. Oh man, a Bill Plasky is one. Uh, the very best. Uh, Tony Kornheiser. Sally Jenkins. Sally Jenkins. <laughs> yeah. Well, the Red Smith Award. This is the second year in a row, and last year I, they had nominations, and there were like about ten of us, and I finished next to last. I don't know <laughs> how the guy finished below me, but he did. It there was one guy. Doesn't matter. You're you're in a group of what, ten or fifteen there. Well, yes, yeah, it's, it's not 15. It's more like 10. Yeah. Nine or 10. I'm not sure the number exact. I could look it up. So you're just being nominated makes you a winner. Yeah, that's it's a great group to be in there with, but uh, it's also a little embarrassing because I know that there are guys that are in a different league from me. And, you know, Tony Kornheiser, I should be in the same league with him. I don't think so, you know. You know what's funny about guys like Tony Kornheiser and Michael Wilbon is the people that know them now, had no idea that they were print guys and write, you know, well, writers before well, ESPN. I, yeah, most most of us start that way. I know. understand, but the generation now that watches them on, on, uh, pardon the interruption, that's all they. These guys are pretty good. Where'd they come from? Well, they had no idea that they were, you know, um, Will Bonds from Chicago and Kornheiser from D.C. in that area. And, yeah, uh, that, that that's one of the better shows on TV, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's it's a, it's a nice group to be a part of, and you know, that all I, that's all I can say. I mean, I I think that uh, you, you've got people on there that like Tom Boswell and, and others that are just way out and ahead of the the rest of us, and and then that's only natural. I mean, there's that there. This is a an event. This is a mainly for baseball writers and and. Uh, you know, professional, uh, big city writers, mostly people from Philadelphia. Oh, by the way, Bill Lyon. Now, let's talk mm-hmm. about Bill Lyon. What a magical writer he was for uh, in Philadelphia at the Inquirer. And it was, do you know Bill was on the staff here at, at, at the News Gazette when I came here? Is that right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was here. He would maybe, maybe a year, maybe less than a year. I'm not sure that he was just in the process of leaving. He was a sports editor here at one time. And uh, he got off into... Uh, the other, he, he was a uh, he wasn't sports editor when I came, and he was he moved out to Philadelphia and became a columnist, and his columns are just you can just read it regardless of whether you care about the sport, you, you know he could write about anything and it just came out tremendous, and uh, you know he still has relatives here and uh, in Champaign Urbana. Well, I ran the risk of making you mad at me by bringing that <laughs> up, but I also was willing to take that risk because if I didn't do it, I'd have other guys mad at me. No, no. Well, I can't get mad at you because you run this show. <laughs> if I lose you, I'm lost. And I, I still I'd think I'm wandering in the forest. And if you do get mad at me, I still think I might be able to outrun you. So <laughs> I feel comfortable there. You can outrun me, outthrow me, but. I'm going to get you in golf someday. That would be fun. I can't <laughs> wait till we do that again. Moving up on 10:20. That's not going to happen. On the line, yeah. Pella Saturday Sports Talk. And the folks at uh, the Pella Window Store would love to help you find the perfect window or door for your home. Whether you're looking for new or replacements, visit the showroom at 1001 North Country Fair Drive in Champaign. And 
See the products in person and discover the beauty of wood windows, the ease of the -the between-the-glass blinds, or the durability of fiberglass entry doors. The uh, Pella experts know all about what type of window or door works best for each unique home, and working with them at Illini Pella is a very easy process. They'll be there for, for you to help you along the way from shopping for the product to the installation and even helping you with financing if that's an issue. So stop by and visit the local showroom to get started, 1001 North Country Fair Drive. You'll learn more about the styles, materials, and options available to you. 356-6474 is the number. Their uh, hours at this particular time are Monday through Friday, 8 to 5, Saturday by appointment. Check them out at their website, PellaofChampagne.com. 1029 WDWS Champaign-Urbana. We're back with more Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk after this. Hi, this is Brian Barnard. Join us for Fighting Illini Basketball Tuesday night at home against Northwestern at 8. Illini game day at 6 on Tuesday night. 1031 Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk with Lauren Tate. I'm Steve Kelly. Happy you're with us. Phone line is open 356-9397. If you'd like to join us, a lot of basketball talk this morning, and rightly so, with the Illinois win last night in overtime, 77-72 at Nebraska. And the Illini got out of there with a win and still hang on to second place in the Big Ten at 10-3. and Going to talk some Illinois football now with our friend, old number 29, Howard Griffith, is with us from Chicago with the Big Ten Network. Good morning, Howard. How are you? I'm good. Good morning. How are you guys doing today? We're good. We haven't talked to you since uh, Brett Bielmo was hired as the head coach at the U of I. I want to get your thoughts on that. Certainly you know Brett from his days at Wisconsin and kind of get your feeling on the direction that uh, Illinois football appears to be headed in. Yeah, really excited about the hire. You talk about somebody who really you know knows the conference, has had a great deal of success in this conference, and I know he's not going to, to, to necessarily bring the Wisconsin way, Wisconsin way to Champaign. He's going to develop an identity, and I think that's one of the things that's going to be important as the, as the team goes through winter conditioning and as his uh, coaching staff starts to get out and get on the recruiting trail. Well, it wouldn't be the worst thing that ever happened if he did bring the Wisconsin away, would it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no doubt. And what do you think his strength is from, from knowing him and watching him? You know, when you think of Wisconsin teams in the past, you've you, you got to kind of look at that to, to – talk about his style of coaching with the big offensive lineman and, and the run game. And I, I'm sure that some of those elements won't change wherever he goes. Yeah, I think so. He mentioned because he saw starts up front having an outstanding offensive line to get things going on the offensive side of the football and having a quarterback that can be uh, mobile in the pocket and can make the big throws and defensively being aggressive, being able to change some things up and uh, force some offenses into some difficult situations and, and take the football away. You know, that's always going to be key for defense. But as I mentioned a little bit earlier, now's the time he has to start to mold this team uh, and try to get the identity he wants this team to actually have. And you really don't get an opportunity to do that until you have a chance to put the pads on and get that first recruiting class in and start to work and, and build the culture that you want. Sometimes people use the word culture and I automatically think that there was something else wrong with the program. Sure it was from a wins and losses standpoint, but I think it's important uh, to know that the culture changes no matter who's in charge. It's up they want to bring their own identity to the team. 
Well, Howard, this is Lauren. You know, I'm uh, really happy to see the approach they're taking in the state of Illinois. I don't think that you can just simply recruit the state of Illinois alone and be successful. I'm not saying that. But I do think that in in giving each of the 10 assistant coaches a section, and each of those guys is calling every high school coach in their area, uh, has, has has got everybody talking across the state, you know, that Illinois really cares, the University of Illinois really cares about them, and they had grown to think that, that uh, Lovey didn't feel that way about them. Your reaction? Well, I mean, it, hey, hadn't, hadn't grown. I mean, it was kind of a, a fact when you look at what the recruiting was for the state of Illinois. And listen, I, I understand it. I know people always talk about, well, you have to build that sense, you know, around the state be able to control the state, but that's not really realistic because those top players in the state are going to be chased by the uh, Ohio State, the, the Notre Dames, um, you know, the Michigan. They're going to be chased by all of those guys. But I think one of the things that's important is, is that the coaching staff does a great job of, of recruiting, not only that individual, but that high school as well. So listen, the guy doesn't end up picking Illinois. But in this day and age, with the transfer portal, you never know what's going to happen when it comes to, you know, someone goes to school, they don't like it, and to know that, you know, they may have an opportunity to come home because that, that relationship that was built is still intact. Not that the coaches are recruiting off of other rosters, but because they did such a great job of recruiting them the first time, things change in a couple of years. Maybe that player has an opportunity to come back to the University of Illinois if he doesn't pick it the first time around. What's your take on, on the, the assistants that he did name? You know, I think it's going to be a young staff. I think, you know, obviously you have that wish list in your mind of, of coaches that you want to put together and have on the staff. It's very seldom that the players or head coaches get, get their number one pick at all the positions. But the reality is this. One of the realities is this. You really don't know how good a coaching staff is going to be until you work with them for at least a year or two. And, and I had that approach, and I thought about that. Uh, actually, when Urban Meyer came to the conference, I asked him, you know, is this the best coaching staff you've put together? And he was really candid and said, I have no idea. I won't know until we've actually coached together. So that's kind of the, the approach I've taken when I start to look at people putting coaching staffs together. It's going to be how do they come together and really able to communicate and teach. So I'm hoping that we can get, uh, that we can get the COVID uh, further behind us so the players can get out to the spring ball and wind conditioning. And then for me, selfishly, so I can get out back out on the road and have a top opportunity to check out some of the programs and some of the teams and see how they've grown. What is your uh, feeling about the transfer portal and the numbers of players who are throwing their names out there, uh, you know, without, I mean, just they're ready to, to, so many players ready to move from where they are. And I mentioned earlier, I think before you came on, that the, that the, the spring uh, numbers will be even greater because after spring practice, players will know whether they're going to be starting or not, and if they're not starting, many of them will leave. Yeah, and that's going to have particularly at the quarterback position, right? We've seen that without the transfer portal. Guys are going to move around uh, because if they're not the starter, and that's tougher at the quarterback spot. But I think that the transfer portal is a good thing. I, I think uh, the one-time transfer if a student athlete is in good standing with the university and what I mean by that academically um, they're in a position where they're still on pace to graduate uh, and don't have any you know negative marks against them I think it could be a good thing I think uh, players having a chance to move around one time would be good 
for for the um, you know for college football because I, I think one of the things you see, you know, I know people talk about hey, it's, it's going to be free agency, it's going to be wide open, and reality is it is free agency. That's what it is right now, um, and that's what it's going to continue to be. But to your original question, the amount of players that right now are in the transfer portal, the reality there is not enough spots for every kid that's in the transfer portal, and that mm-hmm. number is probably over 2,000 kids that are in there. And they've left situations that, that they believe that they weren't happy with uh, to look around or to possibly, you know, to possibly transfer and see what else is out there. Now, that's also a situation that I know too, all too well because my son entered, entered the transfer portal right. Uh, right after their championship game. But he ended up, because of Marcus Friedman uh, and Brian Kelly doing a great job of recruiting him and bringing him back and showing him what the system was going to look like and what he looked like fitting into that system – he elected to go back to Notre Dame, but that's not going to be the reality for every player that's out there. Because for every player that, that's looking for a spot, there are probably 10 or 12 guys that can't find a spot. And I know some players that have left some programs right now that want to come to the University of Illinois, but you don't know when that one-time transfer rule is going to pass. Yeah. Schools are also in a tough situation because they need people that are going to help them right now. And that's just not Illinois. That's everybody that's looking at transfers with people that have multiple years uh, of eligibility remaining. They need the help right now, not a year from now. Well, Griff, uh, you say that the, the rule hasn't passed, and that's right, but it seems like everybody who transfers is, <laughs> uh, is immediately eligible. It's like they've already, uh, without passing the rule, they're, they're making everybody eligible. Well, I, I'll say this. Uh, there was a time probably a year ago that if you hired the right legal team, or you had already had an arrangement with the school that you were leaving that was going to say, listen, he's not going to play here. We, we're granting him that, that freedom, and they weren't going to fight it. Uh, those guys were immediately eligible. I mean, that is, without a doubt, was the pattern that the NCAA was using to um, you know, allow players uh, to be eligible outside of the fact that there were some off-field issues that that player may have encountered, and that's one of the things that happened um, with Justin Fields in Ohio State. So, you know, it does look that way. I, I think that, you know, it, I get it. People are going to say this is going to hurt college football. But, but I think it also hurts college football when, when you're, you're not able to, to go out and be able to best, be the best version of the person that you want to be as a student-athlete because you feel like you're trapped. You feel like you're not in a situation where you're going to get a fair shake. You should have that opportunity to be able to move. And, again, there's going to be the sign, well, you made a commitment. Well, coaches make commitments all the time, and coaches seem to very easily be able to get out of those commitments. So I think it levels the playing field a little bit better. Uh, I, I think it puts the players uh, in a better position to have some mobility. Uh, I don't think it should be happening. You know, a player should get two or three opportunities to transfer freely, but I do believe that a one-time transfer uh, would be significant and would be helpful for both sides. Talking football with Howard Griffith, you mentioned – Urban Meyer, and when he came to the Big Ten, that worked out okay. He won something like 81 of 90 games in the in the Big Ten. Now he's got another job. How do you think he'll do at uh, the next level down in Jacksonville? Well, uh, I think Urban, uh, from from what I know of him, spent quite a bit of time with him. Uh, he's been the type of coach that, that understands how to adapt to situations. Now, I'll tell you, um, his his last – Snafu was hiring a strength coach, Stone strength coach from Iowa, to me um, it, it is really disconcerting. And, and what I mean by that, too, is it's about 
the strength coach at the professional level is so much different than the strength coach at the collegiate level. The strength coach at the collegiate level has to be really good at, at the program he puts together. But he also has to be a great communicator and a great uh, player that can really tap into, you know, 110, 105 players. This year it'll be even more because uh, of the increase, the extra year eligibility that players have. But being able to, to have a great staff that can tap into each and every one of those players to get the best out of them, know when they're up, to know when they're down, to know when they need to pull back. At the pro level, it's so much different because those guys already know how to work out. They already know how uh, what they need to do, for the most part, to get their body to the to the maximum uh, capability and really be able to perform at a high level. And, and they spend you know a lot of money on, on strength and conditioning and off-season workouts. So to me, the strength coach at the pro level also has to be that guy that can tap in but he's not – his role is so much different. And, and I was a little bothered by the hire that he made in, in the sense of the resignation. But Urban has a chance to, to, to do something special. I think, you know, he's been an outstanding leader wherever he's been, um, but he's going to need to use, tap into some different leadership skills at the pro level that he didn't necessarily have to tap into or didn't have to use at the college level. And that's going to be critical in building the, the, the rapport and the reputation uh, with those players that he's going to be coaching. What about uh, your thoughts on Lovey Smith returning to the NFL? Hey, hey listen, uh, one thing about uh, Lovey Smith, he's an outstanding coach. I think there's no doubt about it. Um, and I think we all were really excited about him having the opportunity to lead the uh, University of Illinois uh, and to, to bring it back to prominence. And, and it didn't work. And, and I think a lot had to do, you know, personality-wise uh, with, with the coaching staff as well. Uh, not necessarily putting a staff together in my mind that best supported him to make him look and, and do the best job he could. And then, you know, obviously not recruiting and not getting enough wins and losses. You know, it's tough. But, the, you know, he's back in football, and I think that'll be great for him. Uh, you know, he knows what he's doing. He's had success. Uh, so, you know, I wish him all the best. And, you know, and, and grateful, even though we didn't have a put together a, a really great time while he was the head coach, grateful that he had an opportunity to, to lead some of the players and young men at the university. Yeah, I think uh, you can make a case that he he was a pretty good hire at the time for what the, the situation was. I think he was he was fine. I think he brought some respectability back to the program as far as getting rid of off-the-field issues and such, and just, as you mentioned, didn't work out well, with I, enough it, W's. It was all about the recruiting, I think. I mean, yeah, yeah, just exactly. Felt, and <laughs> you, you, <laughs> You have to be a good, solid college recruiter in order to be successful. And, and you know, uh, the thing that bothers me, uh, Griff, about college football is as we uh, I'm going to talk about recruiting and then you see mm-hmm. the players that Alabama got this year, the, mm-hmm. the new class mm-hmm. they got coming in, and you see what Ohio State's got. And they say that Alabama's got the greatest class ever coming in this coming year. And you know what? Ohio State may be better. I mean, it's just that, it's that ridiculous that and, – and Illinois, you know, the idea of getting a five-star here is just out of the question. We can't even get right. a four-star. But uh, yeah. they just get masses of five and four-stars. It's, it's too out of balance, and I wish there was some way to balance it out. Yeah, it's no question about that. And let me throw this question to both of you guys. You, know, you guys have covered the program you know, longer than – done a great job of it. But what really is probably the best recruiting class – do you guys think that, that Illinois had? And I'm asking for a specific reason I think we'll be able to draw uh, the lines and, and connect the dots with it. 
Well, the best class was probably back when Mike White was here, I suppose. Uh, yeah. In in the last <laughs> it's been the last forty years, I mean that's it's a lot of years. But uh, those players he brought from California, I mean, mm-hmm. I, and and the players that he left over for Makovic, you know, mm-hmm. what do you think? And then you look at the Hardy, Simeon Rice, well, yeah, yeah. Holosek, that group as yeah. well. Yeah. What about you, Griff? So, so so here here's where you go back to the California guys, right? The junior college guys, and yeah. the, the players that the coach White brought. Well, who's on the guys that were on that staff were great recruiters, great personalities, really could connect. Mm-hmm. You think about bringing in the Simeon Rice, the Kevin Hardy, uh, the John Holifax. What did we have? Lou Tepper. Didn't have the, the great stint as the head coach, but nobody was better than Lou and Rod Bernstein, two guys you would never think could go into certain areas and recruit. Great recruiters, great motivators knew how to tap into the players in those families. Then you can also go to Mike Loxley uh, and, mm-hmm. and under Zook when they brought Aurelius Ben and those guys in. Great recruiters know how to evaluate talent. My point is when you talk about the Alabamas and you talk about the Ohio State, those coaches, one, not just one to ten, but also in the back office, uh, the strength and conditioning, marketing, uh, player personnel, personnel those coaches love recruiting recruiting is 24 hours a day seven days a week 365 and if you don't love it you will not be able to get to a point where you can even be close to getting to what an ohio state is able to do ohio state had has an advantage they've won championships they've had great coaches and they've been able to elevate uh their ability to do that but I'll use Penn State as an example. That was a team that under Coach Franklin has really elevated their recruiting. Now they started to tick back a little bit uh, because they had some guys that have decided to transfer. And I think that's, that's inevitable. Those things happen. But where you see Ohio State and where you see the Alabamas and even Clemson to a certain extent is that they're able to, it's probably the wrong word, but stockpile those four- and five-star players and also get them to buy into the system and the program that just because you're coming in and you're playing behind a, a five-star player and you're a five-star guy doesn't mean you're not going to get valuable reps. I believe that when you bring those young players in, you still need to get them involved in five to ten plays a game if they're ready. And the reason I say that is because now by the time those five to ten plays add up and you get to the end of the season and that player has to go in and make a big play in a, in a, a Big Ten championship, SEC championship, a, a playoff game, the players around you, around him, know that he can, he can make plays. The coaching staff has seen that individual make plays, and he feels like he has been a vital part of, of helping the team get to the championship. And, and that is what's so hard. But it goes back to recruiting. You guys are absolutely right. You have to be able to recruit. And, and Coach Smith just could not get to that point where he truly, I think, in the entire staff, truly loved to recruit the way you needed to to be consistent in this conference. Good stuff, Howard. We'll leave it there. You're getting me fired up, though. I'm, <laughs> I'm getting ready to go recruiting hey, myself. Yeah, I'm fired up, but I can't wait to you know see what Coach Smith does. Uh, and his staff has an opportunity to get out there on the, on the, on the trail and – Look, it's been a lot of fun watching our basketball team really get back to it, too. So they're doing a great job, so it's fun. And the Illinois sports, we're hoping to get it back on top, the entire program back on top, not just our 
our Olympic sports, but getting our resident sports back on top is going to be fun to watch. Appreciate your time. As always, my friend, we'll do it again soon. All right, guys. Stay safe. Stay healthy. You too. Howard Griffith with us at 1050. We'll take a break and be back with more Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk after this. Got about five minutes left on this edition of Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Glad you've been with us. Illinois winning that game last night, 77-72. to Probably shouldn't pop this question now with only five minutes left because people will have different opinions and want to talk about it. We don't really have time, but we can do it next week. But how far up on your Mount Rushmore of Illinois basketball players as Io DeSumo moved? Well, he's really high. And I will tell you that he can be, he can be, and this is something we've discussed before. There's never been a first five All-American selected by Associated Press since it began picking All-America teams in 1948. Never had one, not one, nobody. Now, we've had a couple consensus All-Americans, which... You might want to explain the difference there. Consensus is when you take all the different, you take all the different selections and and compile them, and, and uh, we had Rod Fletcher in 1952 and D. Brown in, in 2005. But AP, which is the one that Clee mentioned he's on, the one that AP, the one that uh, Scott Ritchie, he's one of the selectors, mm-hmm. it's the main uh, All-America team. We've never had a first five player. We've had a number of second-string players. So if your consensus... Say that again? If your consensus... yeah. I think a lot of people would think, well, you must have been an AP All-American. No. Because your consensus, you're, right. you're an you All-American second, on, ev- probably on second everything. Probably second team with AP, but maybe first team with UPI at I the got time, you. or, or d- just depending on, on you know which selection group that you might be considering. But anyway, we've never had a first teamer till this year. I will tell you that he will be an AP All-American, the first, first, first five All-American in Illinois history. Now, when I say that, Andy Phillip would have been, but AP wasn't picking him then. Andy Phillip in 1943 was the first five All-American, period. And back with a flying Illini, you had so much balance. Yeah. You, none and, of those guys. That's exactly right. And, and, uh, and the, worst, the, most, the bad thing about the 1989 team is that they had nobody on the AP's top 15 they didn't have anybody on the top 15. Can you imagine not having Gill, not having Nick Anderson, not not having bad nobody? They were just so balanced and they were so good. Everybody was so good they couldn't figure out who to, to uh, emphasize. And uh, by the way, the next year, 1990, Gill made first five All-American with UPI. But UPI isn't with us anymore. So that was United Press International. Right. And... Well, I remember back in the early days of a lot of radio stations I worked at had one or the other, and a lot of uh, stations I worked at were UPI, yep. that old noisy machine in the back background <laughs> typing and yep. ripping and uh, reading and rewriting and such. But another thing about the flying Illini years, the Big Ten and all of college basketball, but especially the Big Ten, was so good. There were so many star players in the Big Ten that it would be tough to crack that uh, yep. that line up on a national Nick level. Nick Anderson was overlooked. 
No doubt. He's just plain overlooked. I still rank him the best Illinois player that I've covered. Well, what he did coming down the stretch against Indiana, hitting the winning shot yep. with, a, with a big game there. I mean, that wasn't the only shot he made. Right. And then, of course, in that two game, I've always considered the two games in Minneapolis the most important two victories of all time. Now, you might go back since, you know, it's a long time since 89 and may, may have been a better game since then. But those two back-to-back, and Nick Anderson was the star of both games against really top players. The difference, you know, I mean, they, the competition in the Big Ten at that time was really good, and the competition in Minneapolis was with Louisville and Syracuse and Missouri was really good, and, and you know, it's, it was just a, a tremendous performance back-to-back. We are just about out of time. And by the way, uh, in tomorrow's newspaper, I'm picking the top ten individual performances of all time, which nobody will agree with, but that's okay. Well, Everybody give, will have their, their favorites. Give us uh, something to talk about, that's for sure. That's coming up tomorrow in the News Gazette. Mr. Tate, we'll talk to you soon. Illinois basketball next on the court on Tuesday night. Eight o'clock start at the uh, State Farm Center against Northwestern. Michigan allegedly will play today against uh, Wisconsin. <laughs> you think? That game's starting in about an hour, so keep an eye on that. And that is uh, tomorrow. You're right. It is tomorrow. So something to look forward to tomorrow on WDWS Champaign-Urbana. Thanks for your time. This is Steve Kelly for everybody. Have a good weekend.